everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is another Track by Track, brought to you exclusively by ArtistWorks. ArtistWorks is dedicated to providing anyone anywhere in the world with affordable, interactive access to some of the greatest music teachers in the world. Each hand-selected ArtistWorks online music teacher brings many years of performing, recording, and teaching experience to players of all skill levels. Students at ArtistWorks have direct access to our robust video lesson catalog that is ever-expanding with fresh content. With the ability to loop and adjust playback speed, these online music lessons could be the key to unlocking your playing abilities. Through the patented video exchange learning platform, master musicians like mandolin legend Mike Marshall interact directly with enthusiastic players in an industry-unique social online learning environment. Mike reviews each video exchange submission and records a response, offering specific guidance to take your playing to the next level. All students can access the video exchange library and watch each other's interactions with Mike, too. These video exchanges form the basis of an ever-growing, ever-changing online learning experience that is superior to a real classroom and provides the most convenient and effective way to learn online. Want to take your playing to the next level? Use promo code MBAW20 to save 20% on lessons at ArtistWorks.com. That's MBAW20. Wow, this one is a good one. I love this album, The Golden Angle. And David has actually put out a transcription book for it as well. And it's incredible. So if you want to play exactly like David Benedict, all you have to do is get this book. Okay, that's an exaggeration. But if you want to work on the tunes and learn the tunes um, from the man who wrote them, this book is the best way to go about that. So be sure to check that out. Go out and buy his album and also check out his new band, The Foreign Landers. And hey, don't forget the Austin live stream is coming up October 24th. Billy Bright. Kim Warner, Paul Glass, and myself are going to be doing a live stream in Austin at a killer studio. And if you live in Austin, we are doing an in-person, socially distant mandolin clinic. The seating is limited. It's very limited. So uh, it's 40 bucks, and you can register just by going to danielpatrickmusic at yahoo.com. Just shoot me a message to that email for any questions you have or to reserve your spot. All right, everybody, let's get into this episode with David Benedict. Cheers. I'd like to welcome back to the podcast, episode number one, this guest was on, my very first interview ever, and I hope I've improved some. <laughs> but I want to welcome back David Benedict for a track by track of the Golden Angle. How's it going, David? Hey, I'm doing well, Daniel. It's good to be here, man. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Thank you for coming back. Um, it's been, it seems like forever ago now. It's only been a little over a year, but um, again, you are you were the first person I interviewed and in, in gave me the uh, energy to keep this going. So thank you for, for being the, the guinea pig of the very first podcast. Oh, man, it's an honor. And, uh, man, it's been exciting just to see how the podcast has grown over the past year, all the amazing guests you've had, and just an amazing wealth of resources for, for mandolin players and musicians in, in general, man. It's just an awesome piece of work. Oh, thanks, man. I really, I really, really appreciate that. Appreciate that, especially coming from you because I've also been, I've been a fan of yours since your first album. Um, your first one was, was great as well. And what I love about the Golden Angle is like, you can see like this growth as an artist um, it, it, because the first one was great, but the second one was like, Oh man, you know, you could, you could see the stretching out in the, in the confidence that you had built up over the years uh, between the releases. And, you know, it's still like we were just saying before, before we started this podcast, you know, I, this, this album since it came out has been in constant rotation and, and you and Sam Bush and David Crispin that year um, on my Spotify year in review were the were the albums that came up or the artists that came up most for my play. And so it's pretty good, pretty good company to be in, I think. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I'm honored. <laughs> Thanks so much for, for digging it and for, for listening to it, man. I've, uh, you know, it's it was a really fun project and I am um, I'm honored to have gotten to play with all these musicians on here. And it's been really fun just kind of thinking about it again. You know, it's been, I guess. A little over two years since it's come out now, which is hard to believe. And, uh, and so much stuff has changed since then. I mean, but you've, we should say, first off, you've got a brand new project with your wife. How happy to see you, my darling. 
How good that you look to me still Yesterday we doubted each other You turned as I walked down the hill Give me your hand for the memories Care not what the others will You should, you should right. plug that here real quick Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, that's been kind of the the best musical thing that's come out of COVID for for me. I've been over in Northern Ireland with my wife, Tabitha, for the majority of the pandemic. And we just had kind of an opportunity to really get to make some music together, which is something we've we've always wanted to do, but never really had time for because I've been really busy with Mile 12. And um, Tabitha plays with a couple of great bands in the UK, um, Cup of Joe with her brothers, and then uh, a great bluegrass band from mostly England called Midnight Sky Racer, which is like a five piece killing all star bluegrass band, all females. And they're, they're doing great. They're up for an award this past year at IBMA. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we've, we've just been so, you know, sporadically, uh, the here and there and different places and just trying to get together in between tours that we haven't really been able to make music until we had all this downtime here, which we've been really excited about. So we just released a single, I guess, back in September, and um, we're kind of slowly chipping away at an EP that will hopefully be released either later this year or early next year. Um, but the project's called The Foreign Landers, which is kind of a nod to that old folk tune, The Foreign Lander. Um, and it kind of just... I don't know, it suited us as a, as a couple and suited us as a, as a group because it kind of tells our story and, and the way that um, we met, you know, being from different countries, Tabitha from Northern Ireland and me being uh, from the States here in South Carolina and uh, just our different stories, different backgrounds and having to be apart for so much of our relationship. And, um, but now finally being able to be together and be able to tell our stories kind of intertwined, which has um, been really exciting. So yeah, thanks for, thanks for the plug, man. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we should also plug Mile 12, just won a pretty, pretty nice award from the IBMA this past week week too yeah we were so surprised man we um you know uh haven't been able to be together for almost half a year which is kind of crazy you know i actually think i see the members of mile 12 more than any other people on earth normally you know when we're out on tour um and it's been tough being apart but you know we've been you know trying to stay in touch and we uh and kind of participated in this virtual IBMA, the International Bluegrass Music Association event that they had on this past week. And um, they uh, were, you know, kind enough to nominate us for a couple of awards. And this Thursday during the awards show, they they spoke our name when they, they announced the award for new artists of the year, which was pretty surprising. And um, yeah, we're, we're just really thankful, man. We, um, we feel nothing but support from the IBMA and the voting members. And they've been kind of a, a, a launching pad for us to really get our start as a group. Um, I remember, I think that's where I first met the band. They were playing as a four piece at IBMA, I guess back maybe five or six years ago. And um, that was their first IBMA there. And um, since then, you know, we've just grown to, to love being there every week in Raleigh, North Carolina, meeting so many amazing musicians and um, like all the, all the organizers and promoters and um, you know, figures in bluegrass are so warm and welcoming as I'm sure, you know, and we've just gotten to meet so many amazing people who've supported us along the way. And we have nothing but, you know, thanks to all those people for getting us to where we are right now. That's amazing. And you've been, you guys have also just worked hard, um, uh, you know, just following on social media, you guys, it's well-deserved win. I mean, the songs are great. The band's incredible and, um, and hard workers. You weren't, you, you guys were just sitting back on your laurels. You, you worked to earn that. So congratulations, man. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Daniel. Oh yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the golden angle. Um, uh, this has just been, like I said, I, I love this album and, and, um, I would love to just kind of dig into maybe let's start off a little bit with like, it looks like it was kind of, if, and if I recall right, it was kind of two bands or two, two big sessions that you did this in. Right. Yeah. Um, it was kind of by design and by necessity. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I just moved up to Boston when I first started thinking about making another record and um, I was feeling really inspired just being with Mile 12 in person for the first time. Even though we'd, we played a few gigs before I moved up there together, that was my first time really getting to spend time working on new music with them and getting to meet all the other amazing musicians in the Boston area. Um, this was like back when the Cantab Lounge was going strong and there was a weekly jam every Tuesday night with all these great you know, Berkeley students coming out and playing bluegrass every every week. And sadly, that's, that's not happening anymore, but there's so many great players in that area that I, I really look up to. Um, 
but yeah, I was I was writing some tunes and um, I had a couple ready and I, I figured, okay, the best way to motivate myself to write more is to set a deadline <laughs> and to get other people involved because then I can be held accountable for my actions. And um, that de- definitely did kind of whip my tail into shape. And I remember reaching out to Missy Rains, who was my old band leader, and um, being like, hey, I want to record a record. I want you to play bass and I'd love to record it at your studio with Ben, uh, Missy's husband behind the sound desk. And um, they were kind enough to you know, sign on and be kind of like the the instigators f- with me and hiring all these other musicians. Um, and uh, the next step was uh, I thought of, um, you know, Matt Flinner, who's been kind of a, a guiding light for me. He's my teacher for a few years when I was in college, and he also produced my first record. And I, I just loved working with him because of his open-mindedness, but also his um, really great ideas and suggestions. And um thought it'd be a cool experience to get to work with him with kind of a combination of new and old musicians that I've worked with before. Um, so yeah, that was, that was the the seed for the whole project. And I, I wrote a few more tunes and, um, had set a date to record, um, a few of the tunes in December, I guess it was 2017. And, um, I had six tunes worked out and thought it'd be fun, you know, just to record those and to see what, you know, what the project was, or how it was taking shape, I should say, um, before you know doing the next tunes, but also just because I, I felt like I was writing tunes that all sounded the same, and I didn't <laughs> want to like record twelve tunes that you know were also similar. Um, I don't know, but I, I think that was one cool product of the two sessions was that having different musicians on both sessions definitely added a different flavor to the tracks, and I think my writing style changed too because I. I I, some some of the tunes I hadn't written until I knew exactly who was going to be playing on the tracks, and I felt like I was able to compose with those particular musical personalities in mind, um, and especially like for the second session, which was um, which was so fun getting to record with David Greer and Mike Barnett, who were kind of the the main personalities on that that session with Missy doing some amazing bass work, and um, uh, I just knew David Greer so playing so well from um, all of his records and just from spending a little bit of time with him when I was living in Nashville. And I felt like I was, um, I don't know, maybe able to tap into some of his psyche in some ways with those, those compositions that I wrote for that session. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how it unfolded. The The second session happened, I guess in June of 2018. And that's where we recorded six more tracks, five of which are on the record. And the six I, I released kind of as a post, uh, post or postlude. Is that it? Or kind of like, um, Oh yeah, that's right. A follow up. It's a single called Bish Bash Bosh yeah. um, that I just kind of thought would be fun to put out there, even though it didn't make the, the record. stuff though it's just such a great job of build up to the record too with the way the singles were timed and i mean it definitely was like one of those things where it was like oh man another tune and you just kept you know it's like man i cannot wait to hear this entire album you did a wonderful job and doing all that promotion work and that was all uh, if people don't know that that that's all david doing all that work that's a lot of work that's an admirable thing i mean on top of this incredible album you did all this hard footwork to uh to, to do the post recording stuff that so many people hire out. I think it's great. Uh, thanks man. Yeah. I think it's partly, um, partly hanging out with all the people in mile 12 who are pretty, um, scrappy individuals. You know, they like, they like, you know, doing stuff themselves and having ownership of all the music that we put out. That's kind of a, a thing we take pride in that we haven't really signed on to any major record labels or anything like that to, to put out our music just because we want to have our hands, our, our grubby little hands on every little step of the process <laughs> and make sure that it all sounds the way we want it to and is presented the way we want it to be presented. And um, even though it definitely takes a lot of work, um, we're all pretty, um, yeah, we're, we're just we're just into that. And I, I wanted to do the same with this record. And I felt like the stuff I'd learned from being with Mile 12 would help me kind of explore some new options in kind of the mandolin niche genre. Um just that I've gotten to know and love from playing this instrument. So yeah, thanks, man. It's, it was a it was a lot of work, but it was um, 
it was a fun process like seeing it all unfold so the, the album's called the golden angle was the title written did you already know you wanted to call it that before you had the track the golden angle or was it just something that you had decided after you had written the tune right well um it's it's funny how all those pieces kind of come together at different points and um i didn't have the name for the record or the name for the tune written initially but um i I realized that a lot of the tunes were kind of subconsciously inspired by this video this random video i'd seen on youtube of this artist i I forget his name but this this amazing artist who uses the fibonacci sequence to create blooming sculptures where basically he puts like a a weird symmetrical shape on a turntable and then flashes the strobe light at it and films it at a slow shutter rate so basically you're seeing all these different fast images blur together into a solid film and it looks like the sculpture's kind of coming to life um and it's all based on this mathematical equation basically which i have no understanding of at all i have no you know <laughs> inkling about what the fibonacci sequence is but i, I love that concept so much of the symmetry where um by the time something's ending, it's starting again. And something that I, I think that really applies to a lot of music. And the the tune, The Golden Angle, was the first tune that I'd written for either of the sessions. And it felt like I had that quality where um, the beginning uh, kind of motif, isn't. it's not really a melody. It's kind of like this riff that keeps repeating over and over again. And in, uh, my, my intention for it, hopefully it comes across this way, is that it doesn't feel like it's in a particular meter or time signature. It feels like it's just floating or kind of unraveling or spiraling down until you finally get to the beginning of the melody. Um, and I, as I was writing these tunes, it felt like a lot of the other tunes had that same quality. Um, whether I meant them to have it or not. Um, <laughs> you know, like I was saying, you know, probably a lot of the tunes sound the same because I was so inspired by this one idea. Um, and the name, the golden angle is just kind of a nod to that because um, golden angle is kind of another word for the golden mean or the, um, I forget there's another name for it as well, but basically this, this kind of point of degree that you can see kind of naturally outlined in nature where, you know, some, some flowers, the way that their petals unfurl evenly or, you know, the way that pine cones look, it's just so beautiful and so um, designed almost in quality, which is pretty amazing. And I, I wanted, you know, my, my tunes to have that same type of almost inevitability or um, symmetry to them where it felt like it didn't make sense at the beginning, but it finally all kind of makes sense once you see the big picture, if that makes makes any sense. <laughs> um that's, that's so yeah. cool to hear that. And again, like, like when, you, when people listen to the album, that's some things that maybe that resonates with people and they're like, oh, this makes so much sense hearing that or, you know, just the story behind how you came up with it. I love that stuff. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it was a it was an interesting process kind of figuring it out. Like I said, that the name kind of came to me later and um, I don't think it was actually until... I was close to having the whole record finished that I felt like, okay, this is, this is the plot line for the whole record. <laughs> I didn't, didn't know it until, till then, but, um, it all kind of fit together whether I meant it to or not, hopefully. Neat. Well, let's dig right into the album here. The first track, Dorigo. Australia and New South Wales that um, Mile 12 got to go to one time. Um, we did a tour there about three years ago now, and there's a, an amazing festival down there that's mostly bluegrass music that um, we got to play at. And that's why I named the tune um, Dorga, just because I had such a great time being in such a foreign place, like kind of about as far far away from where we are now as you can get. <laughs> and uh, playing such a familiar style of music, it was pretty special. The year we were there, it was, um, it was so fun because... We had some friends, uh, the Foghorn String Band, oh, who wow, were yeah. also touring around Australia at the same time. They ended up being there and uh, we got to play some music with them, which was so much fun. Um, we ended up doing a mandolin workshop with Caleb Clotter, the mandolin player of that band, and it felt so weird, like kind of seeing the Australian rainforest beneath our our audience, basically, while we were, you know, playing fiddle tunes for each other. Um, pretty pretty strange experience, but. Uh, 
I, I remember it really fondly and I hope this tune kind of, yeah, captures some of that excitement, some of that like kind of familiarity, but also maybe a little bit of, a little bit of nuance, hopefully. And, um, it's funny cause there's another tune of this name as well. Um, I don't know if you know the, the fiddler George Jackson, who's in Nashville, but he's actually from New Zealand and grew up playing bluegrass music with our banjo player in mile 12, BB Bowness. And, um, he also wrote a tune called Dorgo, which I think is awesome because there's, um, I, you know, the more word you can get out about this festival, the better. And it's cool how, you know, even some fiddle tunes that have same names sound totally different as well. Um, so hopefully, you know, maybe, you know, both of our tunes will eventually get to that level of familiarity <laughs> a mandolin player can dream we'll see that's but. right i remember the dorigo challenge on um instagram and i remember hearing yeah. it and i'm like that doesn't sound anything like david's song <laughs> and then it, it, right, a little yeah. bit of research i'm like oh that's why <laughs> still a totally, great song he, he's got the cred of actually going there growing up mm. you know b- just being closer to australia and new zealand um yeah, I'm, I'm, I really love his tune as well. It's a beautiful piece, and his record time and place is another one that's really worth checking out. A lot of cool original old-time tunes. Oh, nice. I'll put it on my list here of stuff to check out. I'm de- definitely trying to listen to more and more music, and you know, there's so much of it out there, and you, you never really have the time to uh, catch up on it all. So I've been this year, I've really been trying to dive into all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Mm, yeah oh man that's great i've i've neglected that man it's it's time to get back to listening for me but uh yeah it's um it's sad i feel like when i travel that's usually my listening time like on a plane or in the car and i'm just not having that that time anymore i feel like i've been distracted by other things but um i I need to start making a a list myself it's a good idea next up here is a high stepping jesse This is a tune I wrote after my first trip to Northern Ireland to visit uh, my wife now, uh, who we were just starting to see each other back then a few years ago. And um, my my wife Tabitha is an amazing banjo player and um, is really fond of animals. And they live out in the countryside of County Armagh, where she grew up, um, her family, and they've got some really beautiful fields and some some really awesome animals on their property too. And um, Tabitha's donkey is named Jesse and um one of her two donkeys at the time but Jesse sadly passed away oh no um after I after I met her really I only got to meet her once and um really really was a special animal to my to my wife and I wanted to kind of commemorate um her with this this tune and um as all donkeys have um this donkey Jesse had a little bit of sass in her and even though she was really old she would like to kick up her hind legs at you whenever <laughs> she walked away so I thought this you know this tune had maybe a little bit of that sass I don't know if it really captures her personality but I, I thought it'd be a fun name for this tune how far I saw you guys, um, Cup of Joe in in Ross Trevor, is it, it is that like kind of in the vicinity of where they live in in Northern Ireland, or was that just kind of a stop on your on your little tour there? Yeah, so it's not too far. Um, I think Ross Trevor is in County Down, and then the next county over is County Armagh, which uh, it's not too far away. I think it's maybe about thirty or forty minutes from from where we saw saw you guys. That was so fun, like getting to connect across the pond over there. Yeah, it was wild. And, um, and uh, yeah, it's such it is such a small world. I've come to discover like there's so many connections between here and there, and just like when you get into such a a niche instrument or such a niche genre as bluegrass music, you end up meeting all the people who love it, you know, <laughs> right, no matter right. where they're from. Um, it's pretty cool, like making those, those connections. But um, but yeah, that was great seeing you guys there. Yeah, same with same with you. Ireland had kind of a, you know, a, a through line through this record as well, just because I was kind of writing a lot of tunes um, while me and Tabitha were getting to know each other, and while I was making a lot of trips over there. Pretty much every time I um, had off from Mile Twelve tours, I would get on a plane and go to go to see her. I don't, you know, it was almost like I was commuting to gigs <laughs> in the States from, from Ireland, which was, 
um, actually kind of true in some ways this past couple of years, but um, yeah, thankful to not be flying quite as much right now. Yeah, no kidding. All right, and the next track up is Possible Water. This is one I um, I just kind of messed around when I was composing with some different time signatures and um, I I'm kind of a big uh, I'm a big practitioner of writing incentives like whenever I sit down to write a tune I I try to give myself a game plan ahead of time otherwise I feel like I just um, just noodle around until. I get bored or I just come up with like one or two measures and then I don't never finish something. So I try to give myself a structure and this was one that kind of came out of um, basically a pre-planned idea where I was like, okay, I want to do mixed time signatures between three, four and four, four. And I want it to be kind of in a spooky D Lydian sound. And, um, and I just wanted to be like a two part fiddle tune otherwise. And um, I sat down and this was one of those tunes where within about 10 or 15 minutes I had a melody and I didn't really think much about it at the time because I was trying to write a bunch of tunes um, getting ready for that first session and um, I, had a, I had one of those voice memo recordings you're mentioning that you, you do the same I'm so glad because I feel like a crazy person just like noodling into my phone sometimes <laughs> and trying to to get an idea coherently recorded so I can go back and listen to it and that was one I, I listened back to a few days later and um, I felt like it was different than, than the other tunes I had written and it had some something that stuck with me. I wasn't sure what it was and it was pretty special getting to see all these musicians um, bring this tune to life in a lot of ways. And I remember um, I, I think I, uh, I think it was on the day that we recorded this tune. It was a really special moment that happened where um, Stuart Duncan was playing fiddle on this session and um, uh, Wes Corbett was also playing banjo. And I think it was the first time that they had recorded together um, and they hadn't really spent much time together before then. And I, you know, I hadn't spent much time together with them either. And it was, it was fun just getting to meet everybody and feel, feel the vibe. And everyone was so, so amazing. But a special moment happened when we were recording this tune because Stuart brought in his personal banjo um, and then he unscrewed the pot, um, you know, the resonator on the back and on the inside, there are all these signatures in silver Sharpie from all these banjo legends like Tony Trishka, Bela Fleck, um, Ralph Stanley, Earl Scruggs. And um, he takes out this silver Sharpie and hands it to Wes. And he says, I've gotten signatures from every amazing banjo player that I've recorded with. And I need your signature on here too. And it was just like, you could feel like the, the vibe in the room just was like, wow, this is so cool. Um, <laughs> Uh, it was a really special moment and one of my my favorite memories from from the record. So I don't know if that um, that feeling kind of is captured in the song or not, but um, I think about that that memory every time I hear it. That's neat. Oh man, Wes probably falling over. <laughs> I know, right? The most important autograph <laughs> you probably ever signed. Like, oh no. <laughs> And we talked a little bit about the golden angle here um, prior to starting this, but let's uh, any other any other little tidbits for the song. My favorite part of this song is Wes's banjo solo. Like every time I come back to listen to this tune, that it always just blows me away. Like he, um, you know, he's such a uh, a musician who can straddle the line between um, being in the moment and planning stuff out ahead of time. Because I think he spent a lot of time working on these tunes, which I was so appreciative of before he came to the recording studio. But he was always open to changing stuff up, and I think. 
all the stuff he was playing on this song was just like in, in the moment, like on the fly and sounded so amazing. So powerful and really, um, I don't know, just kind of captured this, the sound I was looking for on this track. Um, but everyone sounds great. Ross takes the killer guitar solo and so does Stuart on the fiddle. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I don't know, it was a high energy track. And I remember like recording it being like, we're all hyped up and just like excited to go. And just like, Oh man, it's going to be a fun one. And, and then what really was, um, that's why it kind of ended up being the, the through line for that, that whole record. Like I was saying, it just kind of became the sound that I was looking for and, um, ended up making sense to name this tune, the golden angle and name the whole album, the golden angle. And then we go to waltz for Griffin. This one, um, this one was really special to me because when I was living in Nashville, I um, was teaching some some private lessons, and um, one of my favorite students was this kid who was named Griffin, who um, who would come to me about every week for almost a year, which I've never had a student be that consistent, which is pretty amazing. And he was this really quiet, um, maybe sixteen or seventeen year old kid, and. I never really like gave me much verbal feedback, but he, he could tell like he was so interested in the mandolin and would really practice stuff and, you know, take advice to heart. And, um, it's cool seeing him to progress for that year. And then I guess he went off to college and, um, I remember I didn't, didn't hear from him for a while and then randomly got this email from his dad about a year later saying that he had, uh, he had passed away. And, um, it was really tragic. I, um, I had, yeah, struggled knowing what to do with those feelings for a while, and um, it, I just sat down and played played the mandolin shortly after that, and this tune kind of came to life and felt like it was, um, I don't know, it was reminding me of him in a lot of ways, so I, I wanted to name it after him, and um, and yeah, it's, it's a tragic thing, and I don't know if even music can make those things better, but um, it... it brought me some comfort to know that he can be remembered through music this way. Yeah. Well, what a beautiful, what a beautiful tribute that's the, for the song too. the songs. Wonderful. And you know, I, I, to me, I think music is just one of those things that it's done so much for me through my entire life and, you know, in good times and in bad times. And so, uh, I can't think of a better fitting tribute, um, than uh, having an incredible song written for you. So that's, that's great, man. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it was um, it was really spooky, kind of in, in the studio, to be honest. Like when we were recording the song, um, I for some reason I I didn't really want to tell tell the the people what it was about, um, and somehow they still knew what it was about. And I think just the way that they played it and um, had such a sensitivity to the to the mood um, that that I was going for that it really almost felt like there was a ghost in the room when we were recording it. Um, so I, I, yeah, I definitely uh, remember this one really fondly. It's a very special track to me. And then completely switching gears. Eight is my favorite color. Which is one of my, I think I might have said this in the podcast too when we did, but what a great title. <laughs> that is the best. Eight uh, is thanks, my man. favorite color. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't take credit for it. It's something that um, our bass player in Mile 12, Nate, he um, he just spouts out some of the most craziest nonsense ever. And um, sometimes I just like write it down. And for some reason <laughs> I, I wrote that down. He, he just came out with that randomly and like that's a good tune name um so i don't know i wrote this tune with david greer in mind and um 
it is just a bit of musical nonsense. It's um, it's got so many chromatic notes. It's hard to know even what key. I guess it was in originally, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. It, it was well, the first tune that we recorded on the second session, and um, it it was a little. It's always like a little nerve wracking starting out a session with people that you haven't recorded with before, and um, you know, not knowing what the tune's really gonna sound like, not having played it with many people beforehand, and. Um, it was something, something strange happened. I think we were like, Matt Flinner was going to be there, but his flight got delayed and, um, ended up having to kind of produce the track on my own, which I was pretty nervous about too. But, um, <laughs> uh, everyone was awesome. It was so cool. Like seeing it come to life and, um, kind of gave me confidence for the, the rest of the session as well. Just having something fun to cut loose on here. And yeah, Mike Barnett sounds absolutely killer on this track. I just like love hearing the crazy double stops and the weird, weird um chromatic sounds he gets out of his fiddle and uh oh, by the way like shout out to mike who's struggling right now with a lot of health issues and um and uh he's he was just an incredible person to work for and I, I, or work with i should say and um I, I really hope the best for him you can go support him on gofundme he's got a a fundraiser right now to help him deal with all these crazy things he's got going on. Yeah. I've got um, a link on my website, but I'll bump it up when I post this podcast too for that because, uh, just, um, I've only met him a couple times. He wouldn't know me from anybody, but he's just, he was just always the nicest person ever. And it's such a great player. Yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah. He really, um, he brought a different sound to the, the, the whole record you know I, I love Stuart's playing but Mike has just like a totally different approach and I loved it he's just like brought the best out of all of us in the studio and really brought these tunes to life so um yeah if you have any any spare you know send some some to that fundraiser for for Mike because he's uh he's well deserving of some help right now absolutely next up we got Leaf by Niggle So this is um, this is one I uh, the title is stolen from a, a short story by another fam- famous author, um, one of my favorites, J.R.R. Tolkien, and um, he wrote this short story about an artist named Nickel who um, you know spent all of his life trying to paint this one grand tree you know that he had in mind, and um, he's you know is an artist and worked really hard at you know, all the details, but he got sucked into the details so much that he only was able to complete one leaf of the tree before (laughs) he, you know, dies in the story and is taken to this afterlife. And, um, but the beautiful thing is like when he gets to like what the, the short story depicts is heaven. Like there's this magnificent tree that he pictured in his mind in real life. And, um, he gets to see how like even the incomplete work or kind of the, the brokenness of this world can't get in the way of like the master plan in some ways. Um, and I, I really love that thought. And, um, I get that feeling a lot when I'm working on tunes. I don't know if you're, if you're like me, but I like sometimes will bang my head against the wall for a long time and, and tunes won't come, you know, within days or months or years. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you just have to really keep chipping away at it. And this was one of those tunes where even like the night before we recorded this, I was sending voice memos back and forth to Matt Flinner and being like, is this better? You know, like, <laughs> is this new little twist on the melody going to like make it sound okay? And, um, I was really uncertain about it. And, um, but you know, being in the studio with these amazing musicians was incredible because they took, you know, kind of my imperfect ideas and made them into something, much more beautiful than I could have hoped for. And I, I just thought of that short story because it, it was a, a really special um, memory for me reading through that. And um, it kind of, you know, reminded me of that, that sense or that, that sensibility, I guess. Yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. I got to read that story. <laughs> and that lawnmower is great track.
Oh yeah, thanks, man. Um, that I uh, there's kind of a funny story. You, you may know this. There, you know that that record, um, "Drive" by Bela Fleck, who, which is you know one of my favorite records of all time. The the opening track is this tune called "Whitewater," and um, I remember I I somehow like stumbled across there's this live show at. Um, the Birchmere, I think it is in Virginia, where it's called like the Bluegrass All Stars Night. And they did two shows, and it was basically the band that played on on Drive with Bela Fleck, it was Tony Rice, and Stuart Duncan. I think it was Todd Phillips or Matt, Mark Schatz, I forget, and um, you know Jerry Douglas, all these great musicians. And Bela Fleck was kind of you know leading leading the charge. And some for some reason they do this tune, and um, I think like maybe Tony Rice introduces it and says, this one's called Lawnmower. <laughs> and and then they bust into Whitewater. I was like, wait a second. I, I don't think that's what that one's called. <laughs> and I've heard from from other resources that, um, I don't know if this is true or not, but um, I've heard that Rounder Records, who put a, a record out, didn't like the, the name Lawnmower and made him change the name to Whitewater. Oh, really? <laughs> um, so I, yeah. I, you know, maybe don't quote me on that, but I don't know. We'll see um, if anything surfaces up through this podcast. Right, but, uh, right. Yeah, you know, I, I thought it'd be so fun to name a tune Lawnmower just because I love that record. I love that tune, Whitewater. And this this tune had a kind of a similar sound to it. Um, and I always thought it'd be funny to record a fast banjo tune without a banjo, just in case, you know, <laughs> Bela Fleck wanted to come and lay down some banjo on this one. But um, <laughs> yeah, so that that's kind of like the, the inside joke, if you will, about this track. Um, yeah, it was so cool hearing David Greer play on this track. Cause he um, just absolutely crushes um, his solo uh, and another one of those guys who can just just play anything in the moment. He's so good, man. His playing is so identifiable sounding to me. I think it's as identifiable as like Tony Rice's sound when I'm listening to recordings. I'm just like, man, he's just got it. Absolutely, man. Yeah, he's a man unto himself. He's an island. <laughs> I was just gonna say too. Did you see? Um, I didn't. This it might have been posted for a while now, but somebody had just linked it. But somebody had posted the. Um, rehearsals that Mark O'Connor had videotaped for um, oh, Strength in Numbers. Yeah, Strength in Numbers. Yeah, they've got a rehearsal videotape out there. And it said part one. I only watched a little bit of part one, but I said I think it was part one and part two maybe. But it's just like a VHS oh, camera. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I just saw it today. I'll send you the link when we get done. And it's just like a VHS camera in the corner. And they're just rehearsing the tunes for the album. I just saw him do Future Man on there, and then I had some other stuff to do. But that'll be something I'll be watching this week. Whoa, yeah, man, that would be really cool. I'd love to check that for out. For sure. You know, I'll send you I the link. Like, like Drive and uh, that, that record, Strength in Numbers, and then also the Bluegrass Sessions that Bela Fleck did. Those are probably three of my most uh, influential records that I listened to uh, when I was growing up and still listen to a lot just to get inspiration for compositions and arrangements so if my record you know has any any um inkling of that um i, I that's what i was going for <laughs> I guess. Uh, and the next up we got is it madrona right yeah um i just named it after this place we were we were on tour with mile 12 in washington state just outside of seattle and it's this beautiful neighborhood that we got to play a house concert at um like up on the hill kind of overlooking the ocean um on the coast and um just i don't know it had such a peaceful kind of feel into it that this tune felt like it, it was a an appropriate sound for that feeling um but yeah it was um I guess I wanted to write some type of ballad to put on on the record. I had a waltz, I had a bunch of fast tunes, a lot of notes, um, and it was kind of nice just to slow down and let this tune, you know, ease the ease the mood a little bit. <laughs> and another, this is one of my favorites on the album too, the Red Room.
digging this one. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I really love playing this one too. And um, this one was another one that was influenced by by Northern Ireland because there's a great bluegrass venue actually called the Red Room. And one of my first times over there, um, I actually had written this tune. I didn't have a name for it, but it ended up playing um, a few tunes just for fun, opening it up for Greg Blake, who was just randomly there at the time and was on a tour with a great band. I think he had um, like Sally Van Meter playing Dobro. Mark Schatz was playing bass. Um, couple other folks and john reichman was actually playing mandolin of all people which was so fun oh wow um so i got to connect with with john over there and we ended up playing this tune as that as part of that opening set um and i felt just felt like it would be a great name to to kind of commemorate that that event um so that's where the name comes from and then the last track i'll never say it right so i'll have you say it (laughs) Sure, yeah. This one's called Kelowna and Smalls. Um, it's a coffee shop actually in in Bath, UK, um, and that's where uh, a couple of friends of me and Tabitha's live, and we got to go visit them a couple of years ago. And there's this you know really hipster coffee shop there that we had to stop at, and um, just had a really um, good experience there. And coffee's kind of like I'd say my main vice. One of my my favorite toys is we have this brand new espresso machine here that has actually been in the States. We got it for our wedding, which was so generous of uh, a friend of ours sent it to us for our wedding. And, um, and we haven't really been able to use it because we've been stuck in Northern Ireland. So <laughs> that was like my, the first thing I had to do when we got back to the States was, you know, whip up a couple of flat whites and, um, it, it's so great having that around, but you know, I, um, love stopping at different coffee shops on tour as well. And, even tried to like get into roasting a little bit, although I don't know if I'll ever be good enough to to get something that tastes good. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's funny how there's a lot of other mandolin players who love coffee as well. Like um, Nate Lee is kind of like a, a guru on that, and um, it's inspired me to you know start taking a hand burr grinder around with me so that I can use it for for coffee with my Aero Press. Even have like one of those collapsible collapsible silicone kettles so i can like boil hot water no matter where we are in the world and um uh yeah it's kind of like a uh a nice thing to do i guess when you're when you're on the road and you're you know away from your all of your homely comforts and and uh it's just kind of like a nice way to fill in some that spare time that you have when you're traveling too (laughs) (laughs) that's like kind of my daily routine is getting up and making a, a cup of coffee with that and then getting to work trying to <laughs> trying to play the mandolin you know? <laughs> well uh trying to play the mandolin i think a lot of people would love to just try to play mandolin like you you uh you're a great player man and a great writer and just a great all-around guy it's uh it's so great it's it's awesome to see the success that you've that that you've been having just not just solo but with your band and now the new the new project with your wife i mean it's all so good and i'm so excited for everything to start getting back to kind of normal (laughs) so that way uh you you can go out there and capitalize on all these things but in the meantime you sound like you got a pretty good game plan of some things that you want to do so that's the important part yeah you know it has been really nice having an excuse to refocus and kind of see what's you know, the most important thing in, in your life and in your, and in your music career as well. And, um, you know, hopefully I think we'll all come out of this stronger than before. And um, I'm looking forward to that, that day when we can get out there and start playing again. But in the meantime, there's, there's still plenty to do, plenty to plenty to write, plenty to practice. And even just like doing live streams like you guys are doing with uh, the podcast and uh, making videos. There's so many ways of sharing music with people, even through this this crazy time, which I'm really thankful for. Yeah, and and people want to hear it. There's people who want to play it, and they will always <laughs> find a way to make that happen. I think so. Yeah, that's it's just good to to keep that in mind, keep remembering that. You know, it's 
it's easy to get discouraged, but um, there'll be there'll be a better day. I'm sure not too far away. Absolutely. Well, man, next time up, I'm up in Clemson. I will uh, I will shoot you a message, man, and we can uh, g- grab some socially distant beers and coffee, and maybe we could play some mandolin and and uh, hang out and talk for a bit. I well, love that, man. Yeah, shoot, shoot me a message. I'd love to catch up. Yeah, same here. David, thank you for doing this. Again, yeah, episode number one, um, uh, you helped me start this whole thing off, and I really do. Um, I don't know if I've ever gotten to thank you verbally, but uh, that was really the seed and the inspiration for me to, to do this every week and to be able to reach out to people and because of somebody like yourself who was just so cool and and uh and kind and friendly and approachable and just you know i i really really appreciate all the inspiration and you doing that first episode oh man i'm i'm so honored to get to do it man and thanks for asking me thanks for doing all this for us mandolin players and i I love that you know the mandolin community is so tightly knit and it seems like we all have you know the same goal in mind to to bring the mandolin to more people and to just uh enjoy the heck out of this little instrument you know exactly Um, so yeah man Let me know if there's anything else I can do for you. Oh, thanks, man. All right. Thanks again to David Benedict for doing the episode. Thank you to ArtistWorks for sponsoring this episode of Track by Track. Thank you for listening. Don't forget the big Austin live stream is just a few weeks away, October 24th. And if you live in Austin, an in-person, socially distant mandolin clinic with Kim Warner, Billy Bright, and myself. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.